If you're new, I'm Jamie, and I'm one of the pastors here, and it is my honor and privilege to invite you to point your Bibles to the book of Exodus, chapter 20. Exodus chapter 20, that's the second book in the Bible. If you don't have a Bible, please grab one from the pew in front of you. If you grab a black one, you will find Exodus chapter 20 on page 61. And if you don't own a Bible, please take that one home with you. Begin reading it. Today we're starting a new series on the Ten Commandments, or as it's sometimes called, the Ten Words. We are working our way through the Ten Commandments, verse by verse, giving a week to each of the Ten Commandments. And so, by my count, that means this is an 11-week series, because I'm a pastor and not good at math. We're going to consider all of the Ten Commandments this morning as a whole and consider the relationship of God's law to the New Testament Christian. So, to begin the series, I would like to begin reading from Exodus chapter 20. I'll read from verse 1 down to verse 17. We'll ask for the Lord's help on our time together, and then we'll jump in. Exodus chapter 20, beginning at verse 1. This is the word of the Lord. And God spoke all these words, saying, I am the Lord your God, who brought you out of the land of Egypt, out of the house of slavery. You shall have no other gods before me. You shall not make for yourself a carved image or any likeness of anything that is in heaven above or that is in earth beneath or that is in the water under the earth. You shall not bow down to them or serve them, for I, the Lord your God, am a jealous God, visiting the iniquity of the fathers on the children to the third and fourth generation of those who hate me, but showing steadfast love to thousands of those who love me and keep my commandments. You shall not take the name of the Lord your God in vain, For the Lord will not hold him guiltless who takes his name in vain. Remember the Sabbath day to keep it holy. Six days you shall labor and do all your work. But the seventh day is a Sabbath to the Lord your God. On it you shall not do any work. You or your son or your daughter or your male servant or your female servant or your livestock or the sojourner. Who is within your gates. For in six days the Lord made heaven and earth, the sea, and all that is in them, and rested on the seventh day. Therefore the Lord blessed the Sabbath day and made it holy. Honor your father and your mother, that your days may be long in the land that the Lord your God is giving you. You shall not murder, you shall not commit adultery. You shall not steal. You shall not bear false witness against your neighbor. You shall not covet your neighbor's house. You shall not covet your neighbor's wife or his male servant or his female servant or his ox or his donkey or anything that is your neighbor's. Let's pray. 
Father, may my speech and my message not be in plausible words of wisdom, but in the demonstration of the Holy Spirit and of power, so that the faith of your people may rest not in the wisdom of man, but in God and in God alone. Would you do this for Jesus' sake? Amen. Well, if we're starting a new series on studying the Ten Commandments, I suppose it's probably best to ask the question, why? Why would we study the Ten Commandments? Isn't the Ten Commandments the law? And aren't we New Testament Christians? We're under grace. We're not under the law anymore. Like how many times have you heard someone say, Christianity is not about rules. It's about relationship. Is that true? Well, yes, of course it's true. We're not under the law. We're under grace. And Christianity is about relationships. And it's because of that very thing that we must study the Ten Commandments. Because rules are the basis of relationships. Relationships will not exist without them. In fact, Freedom, which we've prayed about this very morning, is built on laws. Consider traffic laws. Do traffic laws restrict your freedom? Yes, of course they do. Isn't that a wonderfully good thing? Well, to some of you, it might not be a wonderfully good thing. You're probably one of those people who, when you see the yellow light, you hit the gas. You may not like speeding laws and passing laws, but I assure you, the moment that you put your kindergartner in a school bus, you're going to thank God for those very laws. In July, my family went for a drive up a very steep mountainside in Arizona, and the roadway was, had lots of very tight curves and very steep cliff edges. And you know, there was not a single person in my car who was cursing the state of Arizona for putting up guardrails, which obstructed some of their view. Now, truth be told, there were people in my car who, even though there were guardrails, were white-knuckling the entire way. I won't tell you who they are. We study the Ten Commandments because they are good. Because they're for our good. They are guardrails that keep us from plunging off the cliff edge. They're the no swimming sign on the beach when there's sharks in the water. They're good. They're for our good. Imagine a world where everyone obeyed the Ten Commandments. There'd be no stealing. So you would never have to lock your house or your car. There'd be no murder. So no more mass shootings. There'd be no envy. So no more wars. There'd there'd be no more lying. So no lawyers. It's heaven. It's basically heaven. Well, there's another reason to study the Ten Commandments. And it's maybe my favorite reason. And it's that grandma and grandpa told you to. 
And it's so often the case, grandma and grandpa knew what was best. You know, for so maybe like, I don't know, 2,000 years, Christians have been studying the Ten Commandments, memorizing the Ten Commandments, teaching the Ten Commandments to their children. In fact, for most of church history, if you became a Christian, or if you were a child, you were taught three things. The Apostles' Creed, the Lord's Prayer, and the Ten Commandments. So why would our forebearers find it so helpful and good to teach their children the Ten Commandments? And I think that maybe the reason is the next reason to study the Ten Commandments. Because the Ten Commandments are about love. The Ten Commandments are about love. Don't take my word for it. Listen to the Lord Jesus. This is Matthew chapter 22, verse 37 to 40. You shall love the Lord your God with all of your heart, with all of your soul, with all of your mind. This is the great and first commandment. And the second is like it. You shall love your neighbor as yourself. Now listen. On these two commandments depend all the law and the prophets. And then some years later, the Apostle Paul put it like this. For the commandments... You shall not commit adultery, you shall not murder, you shall not steal, you shall not covet, which we just read, and any other commandment are summed up in this word. You shall love your neighbor as yourself. So the Ten Commandments are about love. Bible scholars have counted up 613 commandments in the Old Testament. And those 613 are summed up in these ten And according to Jesus, these ten are summed up in those two. Love God, love your neighbor. In fact, that's how the Ten Commandments are actually structured. Have you noticed? The first four commandments are all about loving God. And the last six commandments are all about loving one another. The Ten Commandments teach us how to love God and how to love one another. So this is the plan for the next 10 weeks. We're going to look at each commandment one at a time. Today we will camp out in the first two verses of Exodus 20. We'll consider the setting and the purpose of the Ten Commandments because, let's be honest, the Ten Commandments are suffering from a bit of a PR problem, and that's largely due to the fact that we've not spent a lot of time considering the setting of the Ten Commandments and the purpose of the Ten Commandments. So that's what we'll do today. So here's the big idea this morning. Keep the Ten Commandments because of three reasons. Who God is, what God has done, and who God has called you to be. You keep the Ten Commandments because of who God is, because of what God has done, and because who God has called you to be. So that will be our outline for our time together this morning. Let's take a look at verse 1 and the first part of verse 2 as we consider keeping the Ten Commandments because of who God is. So if you're still in Exodus chapter 20, go back to verse 1. And God spoke all these words saying, I am the Lord your God who brought you out of the land of Egypt, out of the house of slavery. Theologians have identified three uses of the law. Three uses. The law exists to expose sin. The law exists to restrain evil. And the law exists to tell us how to live. And we'll consider those three uses of the law in a moment. But I would like to add a fourth use of the law. And that is that the law 
teaches us about the character of God. The law teaches us about the character of God. The law of God reveals that He is a personal God. Well, you see it right here. Note the use of God's covenant name in verse 2. I am the Lord your God. Now, just so you know, in your English Bible, anytime you see the word Lord in all capitals, L-O-R-D, it's the English translator's way of telling you that's God's personal covenant name, Yahweh. And so what God is saying here is that I am Yahweh, your God, His personal covenant name. The preamble to the Ten Commandments is just as important as the Ten Commandments themselves. In verse 1, we read, God spoke all these words. So here's what we learn. There is a God, and He speaks. This God reveals Himself to His people through His Word. And so we don't have to wonder what God is like. We don't have to wonder what God's will is. He tells us in His Word because He is a speaking God. In the Ten Commandments, we learn what God is like. He is a personal God. He is a loving God. And therefore, He gives laws. Now, maybe you've not made that connection in your mind, but the the connection is there. God is personal. God is loving. And therefore, God gives laws. He's personal. He's loving. And therefore, He is a law giver. Because when you love something, you make laws to protect that something, don't you? When something is precious, you make laws so that it will flourish. So in America, we have laws which mandate access to public places for people with disabilities. And we do this because in America, we want people with disabilities to be a part of our society. And so we will spend extra money on our buildings to make sure that they have access to the same public places we have. Because we find people valuable. We love them. We want them to be a part of the rest of us. We have building code laws because we value human life. It's part of loving your neighbor. There are no building code laws for doghouses. You can build them however you want. The state does not care whether or not Fido has a fire exit. But there are laws about kennels because the state does care when someone is taking care of someone else's dog that they're loving their neighbor because someone else is precious. The Ten Commandments reveal God's character, that He is personal, that He is loving, that He is a lawgiver, and the Ten Commandments tell us that He is sovereign. He calls the shots. He tells people what to do. The law reveals that God is the ruler over all things. He's the creator of all things. We learn in the Ten Commandments that God is just and He is fair. He is holy. The Ninth Commandment, do not lie, tells us that God values the truth. The First and the Second Commandment, don't have any other gods, don't make carved images and bow down to them. Those two commandments tell us that God is a jealous God. He is jealous over the glory He deserves for being the one true God. The Ten Commandments reveal that God cares how His people treat one another. He desires that His people would live in a 
orderly society, which itself is reflective of His character. And so if you trace out the Ten Commandments, you're going to come across some laws about what to do if you have an animal that gets out of its pen and, and, and gores someone, for example. You, you, if you own that animal, are liable for that animal goring someone. And if you don't do something about that animal goring someone and that animal gores another person, you have broken the commandment, thou shalt not murder. And you have not loved your neighbor. So the Ten Commandments reveal the character of God. And the Ten Commandments expose our sin and send us to our Savior. One of the purposes of the law and the Ten Commandments is to expose our sin. So Paul wrote in Romans 7 that if it had not been for the law, how would I have known that it was wrong to covet? Unless the the law said, thou shalt not covet. If I don't know what sin is, then I won't know when I'm sinning. And if I don't know when I'm sinning, then I won't know that I need a Savior. So the law exposes sin. And for this reason, the reformer Martin Luther said that the law is one of the most useful servants of God impelling us to Christ. The law doesn't fix us. The law shows us where we need fixing and then sends us to the fixer. So the New Testament book of James says that the law functions a bit like a mirror. And you look into God's law and you see, like you look in a mirror, you see dirt on your face. And when you see dirt on your face, you don't take the mirror off the wall and then try to clean your face with the mirror. That's not the function of the mirror. The mirror is to show you the dirt on your face so that you can turn to the water and the soap and clean your face. So the function of the law is to reveal your sin so that you run to the Savior to get fixed from your sin. So as we work through the Ten Commandments, you're going to see many ways in which you've failed to keep the Ten Commandments. And my purpose in this is not to condemn you, of course, but to send you to the Savior for mercy and to deepen your delight and your gratitude to the one who kept the Ten Commandments perfectly in your place. So the law reveals the character of God and exposes sin, and the law also restrains evil. So listen to 1 Timothy chapter 1, verse 8 to 11. This is Paul again, and he writes to Timothy, now we know that the law is good if one uses it lawfully, understanding this, that the law is not laid down for the just, but for the lawless and disobedient, for the ungodly and sinners, for the unholy and profane, for those who Strike their fathers and mothers, fifth commandment. For murderers, sixth commandment. For the sexually immoral, men who practice homosexuality, seventh commandment. Enslavers, eighth commandment. 
Liars and perjurers, ninth commandment. And then he goes on, and whatever else is contrary to sound doctrine in accordance with the gospel of the glory of the blessed God with which I have been entrusted. Meaning anything else that is contrary to the true character and nature of God. Because again, the law reveals the character of God. So one of the uses of the law is to restrain evil. To threaten punishment upon those who break the law. And to promise reward upon those who keep the law. So we need the law to restrain evil. So think of it like this. Imagine this coming Saturday you receive two phone calls back to back from parents in the church asking you if you might watch their children in their home that evening. And the first couple tells you, well, we have some rules in our home. We, we eat dinner at the dinner table and we finish our meals. We don't give out snacks past 8 p.m. Our bedtime is strictly 9 p.m. And there are limits to the amount of time that our kids are allowed to be on their tablets. And you'd be like, well, geez, I hope I remember all the laws. Well, then the other couple explains to you, we don't really do rules per se. Like our kids call us by our first name because we want them to be able to express themselves however they want and determine what a safe environment looks like. We listen to our kids. Well, I don't have to ask which one of those couples you would say yes to. Laws are good. They restrain evil. Another use of the law is that the law tells us how to live. And we're going to explore this a little bit more in a minute. But notice in verse 2, God says, I am the Lord, your God. So the law tells us how to live as God's people. So hang on to that point. We'll, come, we'll circle back to it in a little bit. We keep the Ten Commandments because of who God is. That's the first point. The second point is we keep the Ten Commandments because of what God has done. And that, I think, you'll see in the second half of verse 2. He says, I'm the Lord your God who brought you out of the land of Egypt, out of the house of slavery. One of the most important things that you need to understand about the Ten Commandments, and this is really easy to understand. One of the most important things you need to understand about the Ten Commandments is this, that the number 20 comes after the number 12. The number 20 comes after... I went to Botkins, and even I can understand this. The number 20 comes after the number 12. More specifically, Exodus 20 comes after Exodus 12. It's one of the most important things you need to understand about the Ten Commandments. Why is that so important? Well, what happened in Exodus 12? The Exodus happened in Exodus 12. God delivered His people out of slavery in Egypt. You remember the story. God sent a man named Moses to Pharaoh in Egypt and said, Let my people go so that they can worship me. And Pharaoh said, I ain't going to do it. And Moses said, you better do it. He said, I ain't going to do it. And then God sent plagues, and Pharaoh's like, all right, fine. And so then they left, and they went into the wilderness, and they came to the mountain of God where God appeared to them, and then he gave them his law. 
And here's the point. The Exodus preceded the law. God did not deliver his people because they kept the law. He delivered his people so that they could. Kevin DeYoung puts it like this. Salvation is not the reward for obedience. Salvation is the reason for obedience. The Ten Commandments are not instructions for how to get out of Egypt. They are rules for a free people to stay free. End quote. Remember that. The Ten Commandments are rules for a free people to stay free. You see this in Deuteronomy chapter 6. There's a commandment where uh, God tells parents, you need to tell your kids the commandments of God. So parents, teach your kids because parenting is discipleship. So that's what you're supposed to do as a parent. And the Bible says this. This is Deuteronomy 6. When your son asks you in time to come, what is the meaning of the testimonies and the statutes and the rules that the Lord our God has commanded you? Why is all these, why, why does God tell me all these things I have to do, Dad? Here's what you're to say to your son. When we were, we were Pharaoh's slaves in Egypt and the Lord brought us out of Egypt with a mighty hand. In other words, when your kids want to know why they should keep the commands of God, tell them what God has done. In Egypt, we were slaves, and God set us free. So keeping God's law is how free people stay free. So dear Christian, your obedience to God's commandments does not cause your salvation, but it is the evidence of it. Without holiness, no one will see the Lord. And this is what is meant by the phrase in Galatians, we are not under the law, we're under grace. You are not under the law as a means to be accepted by God. You're accepted by God on the basis of grace. So you keep the law. The essence of the gospel is that we could not keep the law. As we are going to see in the weeks ahead, we have broken God's law, every last commandment. And the penalty of breaking God's law is God's just judgment. But God, being rich in mercy, sent Jesus, God the Son, who took on human flesh, and He kept every last commandment of God in your place. Jesus stood where everyone else falls. God laid on Him the penalty of every one of us. And though He Himself had no sin, He became sin for us. And all who turn to Him in faith are united to Him and gifted His righteousness, His perfect law-keeping is counted as their own. So Christian, when your God looks upon your life, He sees you not as a law-breaker, but having been united to His Son, He sees you as a perfect law-keeper. Or to use the Bible's word, justified. 
you free. And this is not just good news for the Christians. This is good news for everyone. Because all who turn to Christ in faith will be counted righteous. If you're not a Christian, if you've never heard this good news, turn, my friend, today. Confess your sins. Turn to Jesus Christ. Place your trust in Him. And you will be counted as a perfect law keeper like the rest of those around you. Only in Jesus Christ can you be forgiven and counted right before a just and holy God. If you'd like to become a Christian today, well, do what my friend Dave did. Find someone who is a Christian and tell them you'd like to become one. We'll give you a Bible. We'll begin meeting with you. We'll pray with you. We'll tell you more about being right with God. This is grace. Law-keeping does not make you right with God. Law-keeping is the evidence that you are right with God. Listen to how the Apostle Paul speaks of the effects of God's grace in the life of a believer. This is Titus chapter 2, verse 11 to 14. Listen to, listen to the relationship between grace and the law in the life of the believer. For the grace of God has appeared, bringing salvation for all people, training us to renounce ungodliness and worldly passions and to live self-controlled, upright, and godly lives in the present age, waiting for our blessed hope, the appearing of the glory of our great God and Savior, Jesus Christ, who gave Himself for us to redeem us from all lawlessness and to purify for Himself a people for His own possession who are zealous for good works. So notice that grace not, alone, not only saves, but grace also trains. It saves us from eternal death and trains us how to live. Grace and the law are not opposing forces. It's just that they're meant to be kept in the right order. Exodus 12 comes before Exodus 20. You've heard it. You've heard it before, you've heard me say it before, that obedience is not the root of your salvation, but the fruit of your salvation. Or Ephesians 2, you were not saved by good works, but you were saved for good works. You're saved by grace. And you know what grace does? It trains. In fact, grace creates a heart that delights in obedience. Holiness is simply a heart delighting in that which is most delightful, namely God Himself. And in this way, friends, you are not pushed towards holiness. You are pulled. Your affection for that which pleases the flesh because of God's grace, is being replaced by a greater and deeper affection, namely an affection for pleasing the Lord. Some months ago, I used the illustration from 
Homer's Odyssey of Odysseus passing the sirens and Odysseus had his men tie him to the mast of his ship so that when he heard their enchanting song, he wouldn't plunge himself into the waters and drown. Another man named Jason took a different approach to the sirens. Rather than strapping himself to the mast of the boat, Jason brings a harp player aboard the boat. And the music of the harp player is so lovely that it empties the sirens of their enchantments. And he makes it safely past. This is a good picture of Christian obedience, of sanctification. Rather than denying the fleeting, dangerous pleasures of sin, by grace we replace them with the greater pleasures of submission to Christ. God's grace does not force us to do something we don't really want to do but it transforms us to want to do the thing that we should do. It pulls us towards beauty, towards joy, towards delight. Because it's built on love. Because the Ten Commandments are all about love. And that's what love does. It delights itself in an object by devoting itself to that object. So Jesus said, whoever has my commandments and keeps them, he it is that loves me. You know this inherently. Look at a healthy marriage. A man is faithful to his wife because he's in love with his wife. He demonstrates his love for his wife in his faithfulness to his wife. And so we keep the commandments of Christ not because we have to curry His love, but because we already have His love, that He has given His life and made us His own. He has set us free. We keep the commandments of God as we revel in His love, as a free people delighting in their God-wrought freedom. So keep the Ten Commandments because of who God is, because of what God has done. And lastly, Keep the Ten Commandments because of who God has made you to be. If you're still in Exodus, go to Exodus chapter 19. Exodus chapter 19, beginning at verse 3. Well, halfway through verse 3. The Lord called to Moses out of the mountain, saying, Thus you shall say to the house of Jacob, Tell my people this, is what he's saying. Verse 4. You yourselves have seen what I did to the Egyptians, how I bore you on eagles' wings and brought you to myself. Now, therefore, if you will indeed obey my voice and keep my covenant, you shall be my treasured possession among all peoples, for all the earth is mine, and you shall be to me a kingdom of priests and a holy nation. These are the words that you shall speak to the people of Israel. Note the same pattern as in Exodus chapter 20. Remind the people of what I have done for them, how I have redeemed them, how I have brought them to myself. You're my people. I delivered you. I brought you to myself. 
And this is a side point, but I think it's an important one. It's, it's something that Pastor Steve taught me on Tuesday night. The cross of Jesus Christ is not the end. It's a means to an end. The cross of Jesus Christ is a means to an end. Listen to 1 Peter chapter 3, verse 18. But Christ also suffered once for sins, the righteous for the unrighteous, that He might bring us to God. So the death, the burial, the resurrection of Jesus Christ was the means. The end is the praise of the, glory, of the glory of the grace of this God who would take hell-deserving sinners like us and draw us to Himself and declare them righteous. God is the goal of the gospel. This is why Jesus came, to bring you to God. And this passage teaches us that God had reasons for doing this. Verse 5 and 6, three reasons God brought you to Himself. Well, three reasons God brought Israel to Himself. He wanted Israel to be His treasured possession. He wanted Israel to be a kingdom of priests. And He wanted Israel to be a holy nation. This is, he, this is your purpose, Israel. And then He gave them the law. Because of who they are, do the law. This is how they were to live as His chosen people. They had a purpose. Israel was to be a kingdom of priests, those who would model the character and nature of God and how they lived through the society that they built. She was to point the nations of the world to Yahweh, to show the nations of the world what God is like. Now, verses 5 and 6 should sound rather familiar. Just a few weeks ago, we spent some time in 1 Peter chapter 2, verse 9. Now keep your eyes here in Exodus chapter 19. I'm going to read 1 Peter chapter 2, verse 9, which he wrote to New Testament Christians. And listen for very similar language here. Peter, to New Testament Christians, says, You are a chosen race, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, a people. For his own possession, that you may proclaim the excellencies of him who called you out of darkness and into his marvelous light. So we keep the commandments because of who God has called us to be. This is how a free people live free. God speaks, God saves, God sanctifies. And God says, Behold the wonders of this God. That He would take hell-deserving sinners like us, who have made a train wreck of their lives, who think more about football than they do about their Heavenly Father, and He would spill the blood of His own Son to save them to clean them up, to change their lives, to bless them for the work He did, to reward them 
for the obedience he performed to make them his representatives on the earth and to equip them to share his gospel to the ends of the earth. And then finally, to come back and to give them paradise forever. Behold the wonders of this God. And so why would you not want to keep His commandments? Why would anyone think His commandments are burdensome? We keep the Ten Commandments because of who God is. Because of what God has done. And because of who he has called us to be. You are a free people. This is how you live free. Go and sin no more. Let's pray. Father in heaven, we confess that for too long we have viewed your word wrongly. Your commandments are not burdensome. They're for our good. And we admit, Lord, that we have twisted them and made them into something they're not. Will you please forgive us? Lord, we've neglected the Ten Commandments. We've neglected to delight in them. And the psalmist rebukes us. The law has not been our delight. Please forgive us. And enable us to delight in your word. And to meditate long on the Ten Commandments throughout this series. Expose our sin and send us to Jesus. Where we know we will receive mercy. Do this for our good and for his glory. Amen. Now, if you'll please stand to your feet, I would like to read over you your assurance of pardon from Ephesians chapter 2. Pastor Steve's going to come and bless us, and then afterwards we'll sing the doxology together. If you're trusting in Jesus Christ, God speaks and says, God, being rich in mercy because of the great love with which he has loved us, even when we were dead in our trespasses, made us alive together with Christ. By grace, you have been saved.